When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for tuning into Americana Music Profiles. The next episode starts right now. You are tuned in to another edition of Americana Music Profiles, brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine and AmericanaMusicMagazine.com. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's jump right in to the next exciting interview. Bobcat is a one-man band like no other drawing inspiration from the likes of garage rock, soul music, rhythm and blues, rockabilly, and Americana. This one-man band takes the notion one step further with ornate arrangements and minimal accompaniment. Bobcat is our guest on this edition of Americana Music Profiles. Bobcat, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Ah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy morning to join us here today. Uh, <laughs> you are in uh, Long Island, New York, is that correct? Yes, I am. We, we're chatting uh, here mid-December. Uh, is it cold there for you yet? Uh, it's about 30 degrees outside. Getting ready for the ice storm. I, I think we're expecting one coming up through the East Coast this morning. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure we're going to get it. Any kind of weather in New York always gets it. <laughs> so, tell me a little bit about yourself and your musical journey. How did How did music itself start for you? Have you always been in New York? Did you grow up with it as a child? Yeah, I mean, I live in. I mean, I always grew up in New York. Um, I, I play in a, a psychobilly band called the Arkham's. Primarily, that's been my thing for the last close to twenty years. Okay. Um, you know, before that, I played in a band called the Black Market Band, the Devil Spades, and then like a few local Long Islanders didn't really do much other than that. Yeah, I'm I'm a lifer with music. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for the last 15 years, that's been what I do. Yeah, and and um, as a child, uh, introduced to it at what what stage? Piano, guitar. What was your first instrument? First instrument was mandolin when I was four years old. Okay. My uh, grandma and grandpa got me that. Yeah. Uh, and in mandolin, what what was your first what was your first musical endeavor? Mandolin mandolin usually leans itself to country bluegrass flavors. Well, uh, my first actual musical endeavor, you know, even though I learned you know G C D A E, you know, on on the mandolin. My real passion for music was when I listened to the Beatles live at the BBC, circa 1994. Okay, awesome. Now, Beatles live at the BBC, it's not your standard Beatles album. It's like it was before they um, before they became the Beatles. They were doing like a lot of rhythm and blues, rockabilly, yeah, soul music classics. That's what prompted me after I learned all you know all that album rudimentary. Plus, I wasn't no no John or George or Paul on the guitar. Uh-huh. But it prompted me, oh, okay, the original version of Kansas City is this. The version they listened to is something other than this. Uh-huh. This is how, you know, and I did that with almost every song on the album. Interesting. And 
that's what really got me. I went my first huge rockabilly kick was at the age of about sixteen. So I listened to other stuff as well. You know, it was the nineties. We had grunge. We had the Star revival. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But this was right before the Brian Setzer swing revival. Right. And right, right before that, by the time of that swing revival, you know, where Brian Setzer's music was getting airplay oh, again. Oh yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. I was already knee deep in it, where I knew it, and I could join bands, assuming. Um, assuming they wanted to actually play that stuff. And of course, Long Island, they didn't. Right. Long Island, my first, the first real band I played in, it was a five piece. Um, I guess it was kind of alternative rock, kind of had a Nirvana influence, kind of had a Marilyn Manson influence, kind of had a um, Guns N' Roses influence. But it was fun playing with those cats. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to this day, I still stay in touch with. Most of them on on a very you know once twice a year basis. Yeah, that's cool. When did the songwriting aspect of this come into play for you? Well, before that, songwriting started around 1997. Again, the first song I wrote it was it actually ended up on an Arkham's album called I, a song called "I Want a Woman." That song it was it was a rewrite of Rockabilly when I described the weekend of. 15 year old kid mm-hmm. living on Long Island. It's very like, you know, it's Friday night, I'm all alone, ain't doing nothing but hanging around the home. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, uh, it's one of those songs, it's a throwaway song. But you know what? My bandmates wanted to do it because we didn't have a lot of experience then. Not not those bands, not the 90s bands, but the Arkham circa 2006. Right. And it made its way into our set. Yeah. You know? Not like anything, you know. Not unlike anything else, and it quickly got phased out because I started writing better songs. I had, you know, real, you know, real actual collaborators. That was the first time. The Arkham's was the first time where I had real collaborators working with me. Yeah. Um, and- before that, I mean, I collaborated with with people that was very limited on what they would want to do and what I would want to do. The Arkham's had, you know, at least Matt, Sean, Johnny had an open mind about. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And and that particular group you you mentioned was kind of your your regular gig and and you guys are mostly um playing limited to that area where you live? Oh no, the Arkham's? No, we we toured the hell out of the US. Okay. In fact, I'm trying to get back on I'm I'm booking a tour in April, you know. Originally it was going to be April and May. I extended it on both heads. Now it's going to be from the end of March really September, October, November. Yeah. The sky's the limit because I'm selling this cab company. As you hear, I'm answering the phone taxi, you know, intermittently. <laughs> selling this cab company. I found a buyer. Okay. Um, Long Island kind of sucks. Um, I want to get back out on tour. I have, this year, I put out two 15-song albums of original material. Okay. I have a third in the can, ready to go. Now, a lot of them, a lot of those songs, especially on the first album, are what I call back catalog. Uh-huh. How some of them, some of these songs, um, some of these songs were written in the 90s. There's one song, Only Sounds Goodbye, which was written in like 1998. It's a ballad of, you know, 
again, it's written by a kid who, uh, you know, just got his heart broken for the first mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. But it's not, um, it's not anything to write home about because I've written better songs since, you know, I've written hundreds of better songs since then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, you know, some of the songs were written in the '90s on that album, on the first album. Some of them, a lot of them, were written 10, 15 years ago when the Arkans were really doing it. It just, it's just back catalog songs that we didn't really want to do at the time. And some of it was stuff. Hey, you know, I mean, everyone had a deeply personal experience through the pandemic. Right. Sure. I got a few, you know, I got a few songs from the first album, and a lot of them on the second album that I wrote when. When the pandemic happened, mm-hmm. and, you, and you, I, you said the Arkham's are more in more, more kind of psychedelic, and then you've got this no one, psychobilly, 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 psychobilly. Not psychedelic. Gotcha. Okay, um, so the Arkham's are more psychobilly, and then you've got this one man band thing going on too, right? Is that kind of your? Is that what you That's do in the band right now? Yeah, I mean, right now because Long Island is really not a lot of guys playing mutant like anything remotely close to this on the island. Um, the guys on Long Island playing music, but, you know, because it's so expensive to live here, no one really wants to tour, and the ones that do want to tour aren't hit to this mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. Nor nor do I want to bring someone on tour that I can't pay. Sure. that's worse. Right, right. I bring, I bring someone on tour, I want to make sure that they can earn, you know, 100, 200 a day. Or more, <laughs> right? So as I as I build momentum for this project, there'll be more to go around than a hundred or two a day. Yeah. But uh, right now, with how with how everything is, I want to build the momentum that brings that brings this project to that. So when you go out then, with your band, the Arkham's, your goal is to play this the, the psychobilly music um, as a as a band versus as the one man band, like a full band. Oh yeah. Well, my goal with the one man band is to make a, make a one man band sound like a, a full band. Gotcha. Okay. You know, and yeah. eventually, um, what we'll call it, and eventually expand the one man band, but that's not going to happen until the one man band gains momentum. Then I can add a second guy, a sure. third guy yeah. or, or gal. Yeah. Not, um well the music has this really interesting uh uh rockabilly kind of meets elvis costello uh in the 80s feel to it i it, it, <laughs> <laughs> i'm so glad you noticed that yeah okay cool so the, the funny thing is the elvis costello thing so i never thought i sounded like elvis costello and even uh, the singer Matt in the Arkham's and I were like, yeah, I, I love, I like the Elvis Costello album, so I don't like how his voice is mixed, how it's very loud. Uh-huh. Next thing you know, on the first Arkham's album, Road to Arkham, I sang a song called Next Time You See Me, which is kind of like the show closer for the Arkham's. It's, you know, it's what I call Beatlesque Rockabilly. That's the first song outside of maybe the Quakes, uh-huh. but really not. Quakes might be the only other band with their album Last of the Human Beings, huge influence on on my sound. Um, they're 
a Beatlesque psychedelic band. Right. The, the Orphans have a Beatlesque, certainly on Next Time You See Me. I'm, I'm a huge Beatles fan. And not many people in the punk and psychedelic scenes or rockabilly are Beatles fans. Mm. In fact, it's not very cool for hip to listen to the Beatles in those scenes. <laughs> they barely will listen to Elvis Costello. Yeah, okay. You know, to, to them, they, you know, Elvis Costello's not hip. Yeah. You know, they want to hear something else other than Costello. But I remember, and next thing you know, we're listening back on the recordings, and he's like, dude, your voice sounds like Elvis Costello. Mm, mm-hmm. And then I played the song, like, before the album was released, we, we do everything independently. I've never been on a label, nor do I want to be on a label, unless it's for booking purposes, touring purposes. Mm-hmm. But not, um, not anything other than that. I don't want to actually sign a contract with anyone. Right. So the the new album that you have out. Uh, so you said you just released, basically released two, and there's a third one on the way. Is it? Did I understand that correctly? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, the way this stuff came together. So I've had a few failed attempts at doing a really decent uh, solo. Album. So the first attempt was in 2008. I remember. This is a funny story. So there was um, there was a show that the Arkham's played all the time. In uh, it was called the Rock and Roll Spook Show. It was the last Saturday, no, first Saturday of every month in Pittsburgh. And my friend Amanda Kill, that's, that's her like stage name, she put it on, mm-hmm. and she would always take us to this brunch, vegetarian brunch spot that I thought was amazing, and they had a thrift shop in there, and. I saw a, a 60s Hammond D3 that they were giving away for 100 bucks. Wow. A 1960s B3 organ, like exactly the organ that I want. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. You know, everyone wants that organ. Right. And I was like, hell, I have a tour van. There's two weeks for the next tour. I'm going to go out to Pittsburgh and load this the fuck in. I'm going to make a weekend of it. Go out that Saturday night and that Sunday morning because I will have already put the money down with my receipt. Load this bad boy into my truck because they've had that organ at their facility ten years prior. Uh, okay. No one, no one could move it. You know who cared about it? And I was like, "Are three? Are you crazy? I'm <laughs> <laughs> right. I'd be crazy not to. Right. Because those things are a they're expensive and it worked." It sounded great. It was all tube. It was all like, mm. you know, exactly what you want in an organ. Mm-hmm. So I trucked that back to me. I didn't have, it didn't have a lesson, but who cares? That you could uh, recreate digitally. Right. Stick, stick a pedal on it or something. Um, so I trucked that back to New York. I set it up in my basement, which is like my music room. And the next thing you know... Um, t- um, my friend who puts on shows, um, she puts on the Psychobilly Luau. Now, now she's in the band, uh, Scream of Rebel Angels. Um, my friend Laura, uh, you probably know her. She does a lot of work. She's, you know, they're one of the most prominent bands. Mm-hmm. Back then she was just putting on festivals and shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. So her older brother, Sky Ian, um, was talking to me about moving a studio and wanting to get vintage organs. I, I was I pitched it to him. I was like, "Would you be interested in recording an album with me?" 
um, in exchange for, a, you know, a 1960s V3 in your studio. And he was like, absolutely. If I can get that, that V3 into the studio, I will record the album. As many tracks as you want. Hmm. You know, with like not unlimited studio time. But then I got the studio and it wasn't a very conducive environment to creation. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you know what? This is my learning experience. And then, you know, continuing on with the Arkans, I'm like, you know what? We're going to be more prolific. We might as well... Um, might as well keep it going. You know, keep this. I don't care about the solo record. I'll put something like that out at some point in the game. And then a couple of years went by. So, um, and then 2014, um, another opportunity presented itself where I can record some music. And that was the studio that my friend... So I opened up a taxi company in 2012. Pre-Uber, and we did amazing. And... It actually kind of took me away from the Arkham's. The only thing that will take me away from the Arkham's. Um, you know, I, I made money with that. Mm-hmm. And in 2014, the owner of a, like, it was a local hipster bar, but, you know, he was friends with me, and he opened up a studio. And he actually needed to get one of his engineers, um, the guy Daryl from Ben Glaster, a hardcore band from Long Island from years ago. Um... He needed to get him back and forth. It was a 50-mile trip each way for at least a month. So it was, it, was a, it was a big ride. You know, it was a big ride. And I was like, hey, listen, instead of bartering money, can I record in your studio? You know, can I record an album in your studio? Right. Um, and he's like, absolutely. If you're, you know, if that's the barter payment, I was, you know, I was hoping it would be a barter. I was like, cool. And that was... Some of the sessions came out good. The intern there actually became a good friend of mine. Um, and we stay in touch. And he was telling me, yeah, that was one of your best sessions. I was, you know, in those good spirit performance. And it was, because I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. But um, it didn't come together. It didn't, you know, and again, I got pulled apart in a million different ways, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. at the time I had a partner, and... It was three years of uh, it's what I wrote the song Turtle about <laughs> hmm. um, on, on the first album. So I had a partner, and I couldn't actually get away, you know, record a song. And this is how it was for three years of my life. Hmm. How, you know, it wasn't the first year. The first year of a company was good because there was no partners and no, like... Right, 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 yeah. Then, you know, I wanted to eventually get away and do some music again. And the only one really interested in working with me in more of a... Uh, long-term thing was someone wanted to be a partner hmm. and you know the whole partnership was predatory that's what that song predatory partner is about so there's two songs both song number 13 on the first album and the second album that are about that experience hmm. predatory partner and turtle and both about the same thing do you have so, um, do you have names for the for these albums? Are they uh, uh, titles? Oh, the Bobcat album. Well, the first album, the self title is just a picture of a cat on the cover. Uh huh. Yeah, I saw that. And like record vinyl-y stuff that uh, you know, me and my friends quickly uh, quickly created out of nothing. We we're like, yeah, you know what? I I didn't expect to do anything with it. Uh-huh. You know, I'm still knee deep in the cabs. Right. Um. Yeah. I might, might have done a show a month with one man band. It wasn't really. 
wasn't really anything to build momentum out. So, and then the second album, um, my mother drew that cover. She oh, did cool. a perfect caricature of me. Yeah, yeah, that's she's awesome. a caricature artist. That's awesome. That's she cool. drew a caricature of me, yeah. and that was the second album. It's called Second Album Less Than a Year because. You know, I, I found that to be a pretty decent accomplishment that I can put out two albums in less than a year, all of 15 original songs. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. With with performances, you know, with performance I can stand behind. It's perfect? No, I think each album has about two or three highlights, five or six decent songs, and the rest are, uh, are fluff. Only thing I hope is... Album two better than album one. Yeah. Album three better than album two. Yeah. Album four, which I'm already two songs into now. I, I, I like to put 15 songs on an album to really give you your money's worth. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also for, for my purposes. I can throw it against, but throw ideas against the wall. I always been doing this, you know, like my first album, the first song is like a stomp. It's called smoke and mirrors. That's, you know, it's like, Garage, like a psychedelic garage. Second, uh, second song on that album, it does a, you know, it does a hundred and eighty shift transition into like a Smokey Robinson influenced soul music. Yeah. Third That's song, cool. things have changed, which is you know, definitely got that Elvis Costello influence, definitely got a Beatles influence, definitely got a surf music influence. I, you know, I'm playing like a tremolo guitar. You yeah. Know, yeah. You know, and then the fourth song, yeah, that's that's more of a rockier song. Yeah. Then the fifth song, Thoughts of Impending Doom, is an instrumental. It's like a jazzy, get you know, slide guitar instrumental. Will it do anything? Who knows? But it's a melody I had rolling around in the back of my head for yeah for fifteen years. Yeah. Might as well put it out. Song six, Lonely Sounds Goodbye. That's a song I wrote in nineteen ninety eight. Song seven, I know what I did. That was the newest song on that album, being that I wrote it. In 2021. Uh, okay. Uh, song eight, Danielle is not a girl I dated you know, 20 years ago. Song nine, Listen to Me, Baby. It's, it's a collaboration with me and my bandmate Chinese from the Arkhams. He unfortunately passed away five years ago. But, you know, it's like, you know, it's an organ-driven soul song. Mm-hmm. It originally started like a rockabilly tune. And then as I listened to it, I was like, you know what? There's too much guitar. And... The guy that owns this studio, he's like he's like the guy that owned the studio in Manhattan in 2000, 2008. How this guy also, and, and I, I report to Abram in Hicksville, he has a vintage drum set, a um, it's a Slingerland from the 50s. So it's a gorgeous old school drum set. It gets sounds that you can't get on any modern kit. Um, and he also has a collection of, he has an old Hammond, he has an old Wurlitzer, he has an old, uh, what is that, a Fender Rhodes piano, he's got an old Lowry organ. Like, these are, you know, these are desirable organs, and, and they make their way into my music, because I... Yeah, yeah, those are, those are great, great sounds for that, for that flavor of music, for sure. So Only for any, you know, for, you know, yeah. plus, you know, all the synths and stuff. I'm not yeah. really much of a synth guy, but I'm sure I'll make use of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so he's got, you know, he's got that. And I was like, all right, you know what? I want to do this song 
organ trainers. Mm. Because I've never done yeah. that before. And for Rocky Lee I just keep the guitar playing rhythm in the background. Yeah. Yeah. That's and cool. give it a much different flavor. And then song 10, it's a song about uh, dealing with the mobster. Things mm. you're not supposed to know. Because his two favorite questions he'd ask people. Hi, is your name John? How do you know that? Mm. Um, you, you know, you, that's his thing. He, he treats everything like it's something you're not supposed to know. Mm-hmm. I actually showed it to the guy. He, he got a laugh out of it. Because mm. all the things that he said, like he, he would... He would tell, he imagine wrestling. He would tell the guy, um, if he was like training someone, he's like, and answer your phone on the first ring. I was like, that's incredibly bold to tell some dude you just met five minutes ago, answer your phone on the first ring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. That's one of the most bold things I ever heard him say. Yeah. That's cool. He, you know, he doesn't, I, I mean, with me, you know, he, we BS. Me, he calls because, you know, I do, I, I do some business and we drive in places. And I answer the phone on first ring. I see he calls and he's like, you listened to my advice, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, yes, I did. You know. Um, so you know, you've got the, we, we've got a, uh, we're heading here towards the, uh, towards the break. And, and I want to make sure we get, um, uh, a way for people to contact you and reach out and uh, find out where your tour is going to be and that kind of thing. What's oh, the, what's hell the, yeah. What's the best way for right. people to connect with you? I would say Facebook, uh, www.facebook slash Bobcat One Man Band. I'm also on Instagram, same handle. I'm also on YouTube, same handle. I'm also on uh, TikTok, same handle. I'm on Spotify. You search Bobcat One Man Band. If you uh, just, uh, just put in a DuckDuckGo. I like DuckDuckGo rather than Google. Mm-hmm. Um, put in a DuckDuckGo search. Bobcat One Man Bands. Find me. You know, I'm on all, all the mediums. Bandcamp, Reddit, Quora. Nothing I don't do. And the Arkhams as well? Are they are they uh, searchable? Well, the Arkhams? Yeah. Yeah, we're also searchable. Put it in Google. We just put out a single about... About six weeks ago, called Worst Enemy. And how do you spell Arkham's for you guys? A R K H A M S. Well, thank you, Bobcat. This has been good uh, to get to know about you and your band and your music. It's uh, I, I love the sound that you guys have created. So we certainly wish you well with the with the Arkham's tour and and also your uh, your your most recent endeavors and the new album that's on the way. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the internet at AmericanaRhythm.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 